0: Hey, you need some templates for your medical device projects, so don't hesitate to go to easymedicaldevice.com slash shop. You will find some templates for creating of your technical files, also the agreements with your economic operators, and a lot of others. So don't hesitate to go to easymedicaldevice.com shop. Welcome to the Medical Device Made Easy podcast. I am Munir Lazuzzi, a medical device expert specialized on quality and regulatory affairs. My mission is to help you learn how to place a compliant medical device on the market. For that, I'll share with you my experience and one of others on this podcast. Are you ready for your dose of regulation and standard today? Okay, so let the show begin. Welcome to the Medical Device Made Easy podcast, here is Munir al from easymedicaldevice.com and today we will not talk about MDR because we think we have talked enough about MDR but we will go through IVDR this time and for that I have with me uh, Eric Volbrecht from Axon Lawyers uh, who will help us to understand more about the self-testing in terms of IVDR. So Eric, welcome to the Medical Device Made Easy podcast.
1: Thanks for having me again, uh, Monir. Yeah, MDR is boring. Let's uh, discuss it too much. I think we should definitely do some more uh, IVDs.
0: Yeah, I think I think it's the right time because uh, companies really have to uh, understand that um, if they already have not moved to IVDR or think about IVDR having a strategy, there maybe it's maybe a bit too late for them. We have still, as of now, I think if I remember, three or four notified bodies uh, for IVDR. Um, with one which is BSI UK, which will not be anymore uh, notified body uh, as of 26th uh, uh, of May 2021. Um, but yeah, then I think there is really more thing that we have to do here on in terms of, uh, of IVDR. And today we'll talk about self-testing or, I mean, in vitro diagnostic that you are doing, using as self-test. Um, okay, so Eric... Regarding that, so maybe just to introduce this topic, uh, what is really a self-test device? And you mentioned also near-patient device. So what is exactly that?
1: Yeah, so self-testing, uh, that's, 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 it's, uh, it's a newly defined term in the, uh, in the IVDR. Uh, we already had self-test, of course, yeah, because they're literally mentioned in the uh, IVD directive but um, the IVDR now defines them for the first time. And uh, basically um, self testing the definition of the IVDR is what it was for most people under the IVDD as well. And that's, that's, uh, that's an IVD test that can be, uh, can be used by, uh, is intended to be used by laypersons. So that means that that a layperson can completely use the test themselves. So both for the sampling and for uh, interpretation of the result. And this is this is really where there's of course a big difference between uh, profe- uh, professional use tests and uh, self-tests because often these professional use tests are. Um, and they are much less binary in the results, for example. They will give you a range and then some intolerances, and then you'll have to figure out. But for, for lay persons, yeah, they basically have to, well, I mean, uh, you have kids, I have kids. Of course, we've both uh, been through the, uh, the the super exciting times when your wife disappears in the toilet with the pregnancy test and yeah. then goes out yeah. and... Then you sit there and you wait and you wait and well, that's 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 your typical self-test uh testing yeah
0: so mainly oh, we have uh this existing in our life so it's not something new that is existing so we have some products that are already used you can get that as you mentioned in a in a pharmacy so to 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 use that yourself um and as you mentioned maybe the the issue or the thing that is difficult here is the fact that we are not professional people. Uh, So by using them, we can misinterpret or misuse or make some different, have some different issues. So it's why maybe this has a part, there is a particular care on the regulation on the regulation or on the directive about those type of tests. Here we have self-test. That's that's
1: also where the directive is quite vague eh, because the directive basically just says, uh, hey, if you have a self-test, you need a design uh, uh, examination by the notified body, Annex 3.6, whereas the IVDR is much, much, much more prescriptive in all the things that you need to do for a self-test and especially, as you say, the the diligence on the part of the uh, manufacturer to make sure... That the test is labelled in a way, uh, and also the IFU is set up in a way that laypersons can actually understand it. And but but we'll talk about that later, I think. But also very important: understand when the test has not functioned correctly, for example.
0: Yeah. Um, so in terms of that, we have self-test and near-patient test. So what is the difference here? Yeah. The difference is
1: that uh, a near-patient test is uh, is is a is a test that is also used. Well, close to the patient, just like a self-test, but the test is not intended to be used for the interpretation uh, by uh, the patient or a layperson. So, a very nice example of a self uh, of a near patient test is uh, you maybe have seen that that Russia and Abbott, for example, are developing these uh, these rapid tests for uh, COVID nineteen. Yeah, they are basically uh, a, a sort of. Oversized tube box size uh, uh, device that you can stick a sample in, and then it gives you uh, a result in less than fifteen minutes. And these are uh, are testing devices that you can distribute throughout the hospital, for example. So, theoretically speaking, a layperson can use them, can use a test like that themselves, but uh, that's not what they are intended for.
0: Okay, so uh, we see here also that there is um, differences between IVDD and IVDR. so there is more requirements now with IVDR when we are talking about uh, self-test and it's, there is a lot of clarity in terms of those products where before with the IVD uh, it was not so, so clear.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't say always say clarity but, uh, but a lot more detail. let's put it like that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um now that uh we have a better understanding of what is a self-test or near patient test uh, with the ivdr what is the classification type for this type of product so uh with the ivdr now we have a new way to classify products before it was list one list two and all the rest now it's yeah. class a class b class c class d with the class a that is um, low risk and the class d that is high risk so how are we classifying those type of products within the new IVDR?
1: Well, uh, for self-tests, it's actually, uh, it's, it's easy and difficult at the same time because the IVDR has helpfully included uh, self-tests uh, as, uh, that um, in class C as a default. Okay. So if you have a self-test, you always, yeah, basically you are in class C, class C unless something else is the matter. And That could be, for example, when you have a self-test that is intended for uh, an indication in class D, uh, let's say, rare blood typing, uh, for example, uh, and because then you have the implementing rule in the classification annex that says if several classification rules apply, then you have to uh, go with the highest uh, risk class.
0: So, uh, In terms of uh, classification, uh, this is the same as for the MDR. If you are class A, it's self-certified, but if you are B, C, D, you have to go through a notified body in that case. So notified yeah. bodies will have for all self-tests to really review what what, uh, what manufacturers are doing. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's, well, it's in, in that sense, it's basically, it's really not different than under the IVDD because there are also, you always have to go to, uh, uh, to, uh, to a notified body for your uh, self-test except that the review under the, uh, the and, and also even the logic of the review is the same because the IVDR also says that you need a design a dossier examination by a notified body. But uh, yeah, there are a lot of additional uh, prescriptive little requirements on what the label should look like. And also quite a lot on usability
0: uh, uh, and uh, design and so on. So as you mentioned, so mainly well, what we said before, the fact that we have self-test is used by a lay person. So the biggest risk is the fact that the person misinterpret the information or is not performing correctly. So it's a false positive or a, a negative, etc. So the idea here is then to um, promote usability tests. So to have really some usability tests available that will show that your products is correct and that anybody can understand it. So, is this something that notified bodies will look carefully now?
1: Yeah, they, they definitely because it's it's very it's it's quite prescriptive in Annex uh, One uh, with the requirements uh, set out there that you uh, that you need to design for that. So. Uh, for example, uh, others. There's. Uh, there's a. I'm just peeking in. Uh, peeking in the uh, presentation that I will give you to reference in the okay. uh, in the show notes. Uh, that that you need performance. Uh, that you need to design specifically for uh, um, for uh, the conditions under which a lay person will be testing. For okay. example. So and let's say, for example, uh, I have a uh, I, I have a, uh, an IVD that needs a particular uh, that needs very low humidity in order to function reliable. That, uh, reliably, then that is not uh, something that a notified body would say. Yeah, of course you can give this to lay persons as self-test because you cannot expect uh, uh, a layperson to have a lower than average. For normal for people's homes, humidity level in the place where they will test, for example, and of course and usability as well. That's that's a, that's a, that's also an important one. Like for example, um, there is a really interesting one that I mentioned at the beginning. A specific requirement. Uh, uh, for uh, self-testing. So uh, NX9 contains a, a GSPR-19, which is completely new for uh, self-testing devices. And that says, for example, you have to design uh, it in a way and manufacture it in a way that the device produces easy to interpret and non-misleading information. Yeah. Well, the only way to meet a GSPR like that is to put a usability study uh, or uh, in the... Um, or at least a usability uh, uh, report that you've actually tested this on patients. Like if, if they do this, do they actually understand what the result is?
0: It's, it's, it's a dilemma that we had, for example, for, the, as you said, the pregnancy test or any test where you have those bars that appears. Yeah. Does it mean it's positive? Does it mean it's negative? What does it mean exactly? So you have to read 10 times the document to say, I don't know at the end because it's not clear. So this is mainly... <laughs> That's what I
1: remember. It's just like, oh, these letters are too small. Exactly. And that, there's another nice requirement there that you also have to design uh, in a way that... Um, that, uh, uh, that, user, that that the that that usability design reduces user error. Okay. So, for example, your wife runs to the toilet and she's totally nervous about doing this pregnancy test. And then, yeah, you should basically uh, then have a usability design that makes sure that she can actually easily on the test, because otherwise uh, you might not, might not get enough urine sample on the test and stuff like that. These are all things you have to design for explicitly now.
0: So um, now notified bodies will look specifically at that. Is there a specific standard that they have to follow for making those usability tests?
1: Uh, well, there is a usability design uh, standard, of course, that's the 62366 standard that's already harmonized under the IVDD as well. But I'm not sure, actually, if there is a specific uh, self-test standard for IVDs. So I haven't seen that in the uh, in the harmonisation.
0: Uh, uh, yeah, because the, the 62366 is the same as we are using also for MDR. So the same and thing, so I suppose it's a general one, one that everybody uh, everybody is using specifically for for that. Um, okay. So uh, in terms of that, so I think it's it's clear now. We know that <laughs> what is important is that. Uh, the person that is using that has to be really understanding what they have to do and to interpret the, the result of it. Um, so what are then maybe some additional requirements we have for this type of devices in terms of advertisement for example? Mm-hmm.
1: yeah advertising that's uh, that's that's quite an interesting one because we've thought well first of all we have uh, we have some labeling requirements but that's that's not really super uh, interesting. But uh, uh, yeah, we can talk about some. But of course, your advertising can't be uh, can't be contrary to your label. And we have Article Seven now in the uh, in the IVDR. Eh? That's that's also a provision we have in the uh, uh, in the MDR. That is very explicit about that you can't uh, that you can't mislead. Uh, patients or end users in any way about the performance of the device or, or what you can measure with it, or even, for example, how quickly it produces a result. So let's say, for example, I have a pregnancy test and, uh, well, you, you, uh, the, uh, it's, the result can never be produced too quickly in the expectation of people that use the test. So let's say, for example, I have a new pregnancy test and I am going to advertise it as, um, for example, uh, 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 quickest pregnancy test in the market, for example. Then actually, uh, this this is something that could run afoul of uh, uh, Article 7 because it might be misleading as to the performance, especially if there are other tests in the market that uh, are, are quicker. Or let's say if I would do something like, uh, uh, that's, that's a bit more of a borderline case, I would say this, this pregnancy test produces uh, results in minutes and then it takes the test 20 minutes to, uh, to produce a result on average then you really start to go into the area where, uh, uh, where the intended purpose uh, uh, as you advertise it is not completely in line with uh, how, it, uh, how the test functions. And under the IVDD, we were used to dealing with uh, national advertising law that you could use uh, in cases like this. But Article 7 is something that also notified bodies can actually uh, write you up for. And that's, that's an interesting one because uh, uh, manufacturers really have to do a lot more uh, to make sure that the, the claims that they advertise are uh, completely consistent with all the underlying uh, documentation all the way back into the performance evaluation uh, report. That's, that's new actually.
0: So, I, I think, it, I think it's, uh, it's really, I mean, it's important to understand that when you are advertising to professionals or to layperson can be really different because um, for professional, you are using some terms that they understand so that they really understand what, where you are going. For layperson, as you said, quickest or more performance or the best or whatever, etc is some terms that they, it's more a marketing term, but it's not really pro- providing any, any clarity in terms of the usage. I imagine if some things, if, if some tests are saying, um, you'll get the result in one minute, but at the end, it's coming in 20 minutes. If you make the pregnancy test in one minute, you look and you find nothing, you say, okay, I'm not pregnant, but it appears maybe 20 minutes later that you are pregnant. So it's like, what's so this, happening here?
1: This is a really good example because under the IVDR, when Article 7 applies, your notified body can just suspend your certificate for a claim like that. And that is of course, that is, that is kind of crazy. Yeah? That's, that's not something that manufacturers are used to, to because what notified bodies would do in these times under the directives, they may look at your marketing uh, uh, for, um, uh, for, uh, for their audit plan, for example, uh, and then decide, okay, they have this new gadget that they're marketing very prominently. Uh, let's see if that all checks out in the technical documentation. But with this, I mean, you really have a lot of, a lot more skin in the game uh, in terms of marketing, because not only can your notified body write you up for, uh, for basically infringement of Article 7, but even... A competent authority in a member state can say, uh, hey, guys, you are misrepresenting the intended uh, purpose as supported by your documentation. Take this device off the market. And that is, that is something that uh, theoretically they could do already uh, at the moment. But it's, now we have an additional legal basis that makes it a lot easier for also for competent authorities to intervene and for your competitors to complain about you. Yeah, and there will be even member states in which your competitor might have direct standing in court uh, by relying on Article Seven to get your device taken off of the market because you are infringing Article uh, Article Seven, and that's that's bad news, of course.
0: So yeah, I think this is why it's really important to to tackle this uh, this this element and to discuss about that so that people understand that this can happen. Um,
1: educate your marketing people. Education,
0: yeah, <laughs> I think the most important thing here is to educate marketing people. I I had experience for that because as a regulator, I, have, I was also trying to discuss with some marketing people, and they are really creative sometimes. So uh, it's important to educate them and to tell them that they cannot say things like that or or whatever. But um, um, in terms of in terms of the IFU or so instruction for use, uh, there is also in comparison to medical devices, there is um, for IVD some elements that you have to provide there. And I, ha- I had made this experience when I had helped some customers about their COVID-19 tests. Um, the elements are more about uh, specificities, uh, sensibility of your tests, etc. So you have to provide some kind of a percentage of false positive that can happen or false negative that can happen. So this is something that is important also to mention to the public to say, there can be some false positive or false negative tests, and here is the average or the, the test that we have done. Here is how much we did find for, during our test.
1: Exactly. And you also have to explain it to them in a way that becomes meaningful. Yeah. So, for example, that they actually understand, I mean, stupid anecdote, but uh, I mean, in, in Holland, uh, with all the COVID 19 craze going on, we, we had actually uh, the. the uh, the whole class of my daughter was kept at home for a couple of days because uh, because uh, the parents of one of the children had misinterpreted the results of a COVID test. Okay, <laughs> because they had gotten back negative results, so they thought, "Oh shit, this is bad news." I mean, of course, for us it's like, "How can you be so stupid?" But this is this is what you're dealing with with
0: laypersons. So it's, it's something that can be really, as, as you said, so um, creating misinterpretation, creating some consequences at the end for, for others. And it's why you have really to be clear in terms of the labeling, the IFU, the advertisement. I had also um, an issue with, in terms of the labeling with, with the fact that some companies want those products, those COVID-19 products, for example, to be distributed to layperson, but they are mentioning four professionals on it. So just to avoid to have a notified body. So this is also some things that are happening to say, I will try to be compliant and put in for professionals so that I don't need a notified body when they're IVDD. But at the end, their intention is to sell that to lay person. So what is the risk on doing that?
1: Well, that's of course, uh, I would say, uh, ethically wrong on many levels and and incredibly opportunistic. Um, I've I've seen it too, especially with the more commercially inclined uh, 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 parties. Well, for example, uh, it would be a clear violation of Article 7, uh, so that's under the IVDR. So that's, that's very clear because you are selling a professional use test as, as, a, as a layperson self-test, which is completely misinterpreting the regulatory status. So that's, that's one. Also, uh, uh, if you sell it as a layperson test, uh, then under the IVDR, you would probably have neglected to label it for all the self-testing uh, requirements. So it's, uh, it, it, it's, it's really easy to, uh, to, uh, to take it off the market as soon as anybody finds that out. Of course, these are often hit and run uh, actions, right? I've, I've had a lot of cases with commercial parties like distributors that bought like a half a ship of these of Chinese COVID tests and were then going to sell them to consumers and they were asking me like is that possible Yeah, I mean no (laughs) Uh, actually in Holland the the healthcare inspectorate put in the beginning of, of the COVID crisis they put up a special website and they said if anybody claims that they have a CE-certified self-test for COVID-19, they are lying because nobody is aware of any notified body having given any CE certificate for a self-test for COVID. They just don't exist at the moment.
0: Yeah. No, I think it's really important also to, uh, to understand that to the public that this is some hints for you also to understand if the product that you are receiving is really compliant or not. Uh, if it's marked for professional, but they give that to a layperson, then it's uh, non-compliant. So that you should not uh, use that because maybe the test that the result that you get from it is wrong, uh, and you will m- misinterpret that. So it's really important that you understand yeah, yeah. that. Um, in terms of and
1: sometimes another another important point to make there is that sometimes for professional use tests, uh, if you're in a specific uh, tolerance. Uh, of the test result, you need to do a conform- confirmatory test, for exactly. example, which is something that that laypersons will never do unless you tell them very specifically, or you actually build a device which will not show the end result until you have done two consecutive uh, sample tests with the same device, for example. That, that's that's how you should make a, a layperson test like that. But no, that's. Think- a- not what how these tests work because they're just like a little 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 thing with some wells and and if you're lucky it will have some uh, pipetting uh, stuff in there but yeah no, it's, uh, I've seen
0: some crazy stuff I can tell yeah, you yeah uh, no, I've seen that also and, and you're right uh, usually on the IFU we are saying that if it's positive you still have to go through a PCR test uh, to confirm that and not just to rely on on this on this element. Um, as you, as we mentioned, and let's take maybe the COVID-19 test now, uh, there is a lot of those products that are now on the field because um, everybody's using that to verify that um, that they are infected or not. Uh, how we are doing a, a post-marketing performance follow-up or something like that about, about this type of product? So if it's used by a, a lay person, so can we, how can we get those data? If I can say to say, my product is still safe, it's still performing correctly, still doing that. So how we are doing that?
1: Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Uh, and, and also, uh, as we've seen with the MDR, the MDR is much more prescriptive on post market clinical follow up. That's something that a lot of uh, companies have found out the hard way that you really need to show that you have a life cycle uh, appropriate plan to source data from your economic operators in the market and your end users. Mm. Uh, and other relevant parties, if you can define them, and and for IVDs for self te- IVDR and self tests, it's no different. So for a self test, what you should do if you want to do good post-market uh, performance evaluation is to uh, to define. Which economic operators are in my supply chain for this? So let's say, for example, uh, you sell through uh, uh, drugstores, for example, this would be in, in, in the Netherlands, would be the place where you would buy your pregnancy test, for example. Um, so you would need to be, and that's where people also go to complain, like this test is not working, for example. Still not pregnant. How is that possible? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, uh, but also, for example, you should consider uh, with self-tests for pregnancy, for example, consider uh, general practitioners. Because okay. that's also where people will go uh, if they, they uh, uh, and it might be that they are consistently misinterpreting their tests, or it might be that they go there when they turn out to be pregnant, even though their self-test said they were not. So that's also a place to, to think about, for example. And then there is then there's the people themselves, which will probably be uh, be, be discussing uh, how their test was on quite a lot of uh, uh, yeah. Um, for Facebook, other social media, but also uh, typically, of course, uh, the, uh, uh, the women's magazines, yeah. uh, discussion fora uh, and things like that. And that's, that's, a, that's typically how far you should go as a manufacturer and just go there and, and, and look if, if anything uh, regularly, if they're saying anything about your test.
0: No, I think it's, it's a good one because uh, when we are talking about professional products, uh, if we are delivering that to hospitals or professional people, uh, it's more difficult to get those data from the social media or from people that are contacting you. But here in that case, when it's uh, uh, something that is directly distributed to uh, a layperson, um, it's easy. Yeah, they, it's. You, you can easily find a group specifically about your product or uh, people that are complaining. I mean, when your product is not working, they are complaining to four or five people. When it's working correctly, nobody's complaining and nobody's talking about that So sometimes. So it's, uh, it's also the way that you have to see that, that more uh, if it's bad, you will hear about it. But if it's not, if it's good, you'll hear maybe about it, but less less than, than if it's, it was bad. But um, so on the PMPF, so post-marketing performance follow-up, so then you have to set up, those sources for picking the information to say, I will check here, I will check there, I will check that. So to get, I gather all those information I suppose.
1: Yeah, that's all part of your big post-market surveillance plan that the uh, that, that, that you have to do based on the IVDR and that the IVDR says, just like the MDR, your post, you have to set up a system for post-market surveillance. The system for post-market surveillance contains a, Post-market surveillance plan, mm-hmm. and a post-market surveillance plan, uh, um, for that you have to complete Annex 3, yeah? the Annex yeah. on, uh, uh, on technical Post-Market Surveillance, and the post-market uh, surveillance follow-up.
0: Yeah, no, I think it's it's clear. So uh, we have a lot of similarities here with the MDR, which is good because then we don't have to learn different ways to do it. So it's the same kind of way to do it uh, for MDR and and IVDR, which is great. Yeah, that's an so um, important
1: one, I think, for for IVD companies that are uh, that are preparing for the IVDR. That these these are all wheels that are, uh, as you say, they are basically identical to the MDR. These are all have been. Incredibly, uh, incredibly detailed discussions have been uh, been uh, had about this under the under the MDR. So there's a lot of knowledge already lying around. So they, they should really not invent the wheel, but rather talk to uh, talk to uh, to device manufacturers. And if, for example, a trade association like MedTech Europe, I mean that that they unite actually IVDs and medical devices. So that's that's an easy bridge there. But even on a national level, uh, companies should really not just look within their own little IVD trade association, but also see if they can cross over to the medical devices uh, companies who have yeah, uh, done all this homework already and can, can tell them. Uh, because that's what the notified bodies will be doing as well. If you have notified, basically all of them will be both MDR and IVDR uh, notified. So that means that, of course, they're going to use all this information, all the experience from the MDR in the IVDR here. Which means also, and that's an important one, is that for IVDR, for IVD companies, let's say the the, the starting threshold, the starting bar is higher than for, for MDR companies almost in the beginning when notified bodies were still inventing the wheel themselves. Yeah in the IVDR market, they will come equipped with a completely new and already quite uh, far uh, developed set of wheels.
0: So yeah, I think it's, it's an important point here. And uh, it's also um, remaining the, the, the speech that we are saying is mainly that uh, start now, start now to look at your process, start now to try to move forward with this uh, IVDR. Uh, don't wait. Uh, there is a lot of things that uh, should be performed, and uh, um, the, the the move from MDD to MDR is is smaller than the move from IVDD to IVDR, yeah. where you have more to do. So don't think that it's a kind of the same work you have to do. It's a completely switch. Uh, you have completely to switch on, on your head or on your processes how you were doing IVDD because IVDR is completely different. So you have to move uh, move forward to this. Yeah, good point. Um, okay, so great. I think we have covered all the elements that we wanted to talk about uh, for the self-testing. Uh, I think, as, as we said, we'll try also to have more, uh, more discussion about IVDR elements and uh, provide more, more um, educative uh, videos about that and a more educative podcasts. Uh, so um, is there any last thing that you want to say mainly about maybe self-testing or IVDR specifically? Uh, yeah, I think uh,
1: well, it, it's sort of uh, it's sort of adding on to what you've just said. Start now, because uh, of course uh, a lot of companies will probably be hearing this uh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Money or you make money uh, by selling us. Uh, <laughs> so of course we need to start now, and uh, probably with you as well. Now, ha, ha, ha. Uh, but really, it's it's not exaggerated because uh, uh, what I've done. Uh, what I've done with the MDR was tell people count back from the date of application, so you know when what needs to happen. Uh, and then, uh, I mean, the transitional regime is such that for an uh, for an IVD, if you have a current, uh, if you have a uh, current uh, certificate, of course, like with the MDR, you could use it in uh, this this 2022-2024 transitional period. But a lot of companies think that you can just go sit on your hands then, which is not true, because like the MDR, the IVDR also has this provision that you cannot do significant changes in the period, and you still have to implement basically all the big new items for your quality system anyway. Companies forget about that, which is still a major exercise, and sometimes it's such a major exercise that you might as well go to the, to the, uh, to the IVDR anyway.
0: Yeah, no, I we think it's, it's a good point, and and we discussed also about that uh, in a previous uh, previous podcast uh, where we said also the fact that um, it will be the first time for some of the manufacturers that were under FDD uh, IVDD that they are seeing a notified body because before they were not. Yeah. Uh, so it's also something that they have to learn and to understand what are the, the requirements and how they have to go through an audit. So yeah, so start now. Uh, I'm not making any money. I'm <laughs> <of> saying that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Very important too. That's, that's also, I mean, I see a lot of medium sized companies in the IVD uh, world that have like a, a sizable number of, uh, of essays and tests, and they have no idea how to group them, for example, for uh, conformity assessment application and, and also what it costs and how long it takes. I mean, if you come back from the date of application, if you want to have an IVDR certification at the date of application, for example, because you're planning a new test close to, uh, let's say, May 2022, that takes a long time. You have to calculate for a year at least because there's there's just a few notified bodies uh, notified yet at this moment.
0: No, I think it's, yeah. it's completely clear, so I hope they will listen to us. Uh, um, you can contact consultant, you can contact me, you can contact all the others, so it's not like we are not making uh, data uh, specifically for me, but <laughs> don't hesitate, contact somebody, work on it, move and forward, and uh, the and important and thing and for project. our side is really that you are compliant and that not we are not selling you anything here, so <laughs> don't worry for that. Um, okay, so uh, thank you, Eric, thank you for all the information that uh, we are providing. As I said, we'll try to provide more information about IVDI in the next uh, sessions of the of the podcast uh, and uh, if you are listening to that on your um, on the podcast uh, so while you are doing your workout or you are cooking anything so uh, don't hesitate to go to your application so apple podcast google podcast or spotify just to provide a small review just to say that you liked it and if you looked at that on the on the on youtube channel so you very to make a like yes eric I like them very much. They're excellent podcasts. I, always, I listen to them during my commute on my bicycle. Yeah, I was doing that also on podcasts. So I was listening to that on, on my car while I was commuting from work. But now, uh, yeah, as I'm working for me, so I have no more commute to do for, for that. So <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, thank you everybody then. Thank you, Eric. And I wish you a nice day. Bye.
1: Bye-bye. Bye-bye.